Welcome back to Non-Stop Politics. I'm your host, DK Leslie. In part two of our conversation, Nathaniel and I get personal, talking about our own experiences of being black in Britain, and let's just say, you might be a bit surprised by what you hear. We discussed Darren Lewis's letter to Boris Johnson, detailing what everyday life is like for black people in this country, delve into the coconut and Oreo factor, and ask whether Black Lives Matter should do more to deal with divisions within the black community. Take a listen. Let's now move to talk about um, our experiences. You know, we're two black men. We've lived in this country all our life. And of course, you know, whether or not we faced direct racism or indirect racism, it's obviously something that's still a problem in this country. And mm. so I want to tackle this question about what it means to be black in Britain. Um, and I have come across a really, really interesting article by um, a journalist called Darren Lewis. He is the football writer for the Mirror newspaper. And he wrote a very, very interesting piece. He wrote essentially what was a letter to Boris Johnson um, because he wants the Prime Minister to understand what it's like living as a black person in Britain and the daily struggles that that comes with. And reading through this piece, there were some really, really interesting things that definitely did resonate. So. I wanted to read a few lines from this, give you a few scenarios, and then let's talk about some of these and see how much we can relate. Because definitely, I'm sure, some of these you'll absolutely be able to, re- be able to relate to. So he begins his letter by responding to the fact that Boris Johnson, um, in the wake of the re- revival of the Black Lives Matter movement, is launching a cross-governmental commission into racial inequality. Um, you know, the pros and cons of that have been debated in the media. We're not going to go into too much detail about that specifically, but Darren Lewis makes the point that the Prime Minister has often been known to use racist language at times. Again, I'll, you know, that's been well documented um, and things yeah. like that. But let's go through some of these scenarios that Darren Lewis um, talks about mm-hmm. and let's see what, we, what you make of them. So he says, if the PM needs a hand understanding uh, what it's like to be black in Britain, here is a brief glimpse into life as a black man in Britain. So first of all, he says, to be black in this country is to be seen as a threat first and a person later. What do you make of that? I think that for a lot of people is the case. A lot of people, my my dad and my parents can attest to that. I myself believe it's much more nuanced than that. And that for black people is, my personal opinion is that, you know, for black people, we, we, we go through a lot, a lot of struggles um, in this country, you know, individually as a community, um, a lot of which have been put forward to us, like you know, simply because our color of skin is different to or darker than that of you know the main people, you know, the larger population of this country, and you know, it's uh, in it in that itself has made made life harder. It made us and it has made us be seen as a threat most of most of the time. But personally, I can't say that I've necessarily been seen as a, you know, all the time been a threat as a threat first and a person second. But that in itself has simply been the way I act. And a lot of the times I believe it's simply because a lot of the people I come across don't see me as, you know, the typical black person. Um, a lot of time, even from school, um, I'd have people calling me a coconut because the way I act makes me seem like a white person inside of a black person. And, uh, you know, that in itself makes me seem like, you know, I'm different to the, to the normal per- black person as if a black person has to act a particular way in order to be considered black. Um, that itself is mainly the way I've been discriminated throughout 
my life yeah. personally. But you know, that in itself, whilst obviously it has to harrowing and sad truth and being be being seen as not black because of the way I act, as if you know, speaking the way I do and acting the way I do is unbecoming or unlike the regular black person. Mm. But it also means that I myself hasn't been seen as a threat. But the fact that I haven't seen been seen as a threat in that situation in itself is, you know, where the discrimination lies. But, uh, you know, even then, I would say that times have changed and there are quite many people in this country, unfortunately, been raised by, you know, people who have, you know, risen above the uh, primitive uh, feelings of fear for people who don't look like you. And uh, they've they've raised been raised better, and they learn better, and they learn it. They you know that they've become better people, and they know it's people are much more than the color of their skin and people they look like. So I, to to, to answer your question, no, I don't think that's entirely the case, but I can definitely say for a lot of black people that is true. It's funny that you've you've uh, you've uh, brought up the coconut and Oreo factor already. Yeah. Um, which I was uh, I was going to come to that actually. There's one scenario where I think that's definitely true. Um, I've had exactly the same experience. Everything you said is exactly my experience too. Uh, in my experience, I've been reflecting on this quite a bit. Honestly, personally, I res- I resonated with a lot of the things that Darren Lewis says, but I can't personally say that I've ever been directly racially uh, abused or anything like that. Um, and you mentioned the coconut Oreo chokai scenario. Um, I don't, you know, this is a, you know, this is a podcast about, you know, Black Lives Matter and we should all be, you know, um, working towards improving Black lives and making Black people respected. But I think there is a point where you make um, about the fact that a lot of the um, abuse that you've had is from other Black people. That's exactly the same experience for me. Um, And, you know, I kind of feel bad at going down this path. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go down this path, but you've raised yeah. it, so why not? Because when you look at um, one of the things that Darren Lewis says, he says, "Being black is told at least once in your life. You don't sound black by a white person you meet in person after speaking over the phone, but in actual fact, it's mostly other black people that say, oh, you don't sound black. You're an Oreo,' and things like that.' And so." Um, that's very interesting because I think sometimes we overlook the fact that, you know, when we talk about black people, black people are not a monolith, you know, black people come in all really different kinds, all different shapes anymore. and sizes. Yeah. The points that you make, they're so, they're, you know, they're just, absolutely, they resonate a lot. Um, being told, oh, you know, you're not black enough because you don't sound a certain way or you don't uh, talk a certain way, you don't listen to this kind of music, you don't wear these kind of clothes. Um, and so I would say when it comes to that scenario, most of the abuse is from black, other black people. I feel like this topic, the Oreo question, the coconut question could be an entire podcast that you and I can do in a few months time. Because um, we could really delve deep in that. That's very, very deep. But I think regardless of whether or not we are deemed to be coconuts or Oreos, um, if a policeman stops us, if a policeman sees us in our car, it doesn't matter at the end of the day what we talk like or it doesn't matter how we present ourselves or how we dress or what music we listen to. The fact of the matter is that you and I both have black skin. So 
to that police officer or to that work colleague, we are still black at the end of the day, whether or not we sound a, t- a certain type of way or not. Unfortunately, that is the case for a lot of situations where black people move in front of the police, where they see, like you said, the threat first person, second. That is particularly the case for a lot of you know, people I've spoken to are older than me or the same age as well, where they've come across a police and that's what they see. And I partly sympathise with the police in the sense that as a policeman, you have to assess the situation, the risk factors as quickly as possible. And the problem comes is when you see black people and you associate black people with those risk factors, you associate black people with crime, you associate them with drugs, you associate them with all the parts of our community and culture which you know I'm not going to die exists but it's not everything it's not all we are we're not all you know low tra- tracksuit wearing you know drug smoking you know That's a typical stereotype, isn't it? gangsters you know walking down the road with you know golden teeth and crap like that's not all we are and even if that's the you know the few people in our community as it is even with white people there are many white people as well who are criminals and stuff that's you know you shouldn't see that and feel that's the only way to treat you know somebody who looks that way yeah because even then you know a situation you should only see a situation on what you have to go on and them being a black person is not something that is enough to go on for them being you know deserving of being treated like a criminal and for a lot of police officers, whilst they have been, you know, taught to assess risk factors and stuff as quick as possible to prevent themselves from being put in danger, you know, they need, what needs to be done is that police officers need to break that association of black people with danger. They need to break that. And I think that's what's most important when it comes to reforming police and stuff. But regardless, that's, that's um, you know, it is a problem. And... Whilst I'm definitely, like I've said before, I don't think all police officers are that way. There is definitely too many police officers are that way. And, it, you know, it needs to change. You know, again, it's all about perception and it's all about culture. And these things are deep-rooted, you know. There's an um, analogy, you know. It's not, about, it's not necessarily about bad apples. It's about the poison tree. And it's about how that deep, intrinsic, you know, culture affects us as people when we talk about the whole coconut oreo question it's also important to know yes you know with that with that in particular it's it shows how deeply racism has poisoned both sides like every facet of the community the fact that you know we begin to see ourselves and each other differently and we begin to resent each other because of you know either prejudices and racist you know views that we've had to put up with whole life we see Either we begin to fear other black people not around with much, or we begin to see each other as competition, you know, as, as rather than a whole community, and and we turn on each other from it. Like with me, my own experiences, I it has affected the way I've interacted with you know other people my same race and color because I constantly have to I've had to put up with being told that I don't act like the regular black person. Same. And, yeah yeah mood but you know you know being told that affects the way you interact with other people the same color because you know you constantly feel awkward around them because you feel like as if you don't belong with them because the way you act means you belong with white people but even then that and and that in itself is heartbreaking and isn't that so annoying hmm? doesn't that really annoy you it it, oh it does more than annoy me isn't that the most annoying thing ever 
Yeah, because when you, even when you're hearing, what annoys me more is when you're hearing it from other black people, because it's as if people who act, either speak or even act like, wait, for example, I've had many times my mom about other black people who become jealous of other people's, black people's success, and they make them seem as if, you know, achieving success made them less black or white and, and more white, as if black people can't be successful or black people can't talk as if they've been, you know, as if they've gone to Oxford or, you know, black people can't do this and do that. And the thing black people should be do, able to do anything a white person can. In my ideal world, being black, the only definition of a black person is someone who has more melanin in their skin. That's, <laughs> that's all that defines us. That should be all that defines us and nothing else. And, you know, whilst we have a lot of culture and stuff in history, which is important, because it makes our history as a community makes us who we are and it forms our identity. It shouldn't be what defines our, our history, shouldn't be what defines who we are right now. And it should be defined who we are as a community and it shouldn't define our race, basically. So it's sad when you hear it from other black people um, and sad when you hear it from other white people, but it's even sadder because it shows that, you know racism has dominated a lot of our society it is it is really sad and quite demoralizing as well because uh, then you just because then you just immediately feel well i can't fit in anywhere you know you're like yeah. oh you know don't even bother talking to them lots because they're not gonna want to engage you know mm. and then you start thinking is there something wrong with you is it mm. my problem is it you know someone else's problem what's happened to you um but it is very annoying um, mostly comes from other black people, occasionally from other white people. There was a moron who I worked with um, earlier in the year um, at a famous department store, which will remain, remain nameless, because I enjoyed working there. But um, one of the other temps who I was working with was like, oh yeah, you're an Oreo, because you talk like a white guy, and you're black on the outside. And he, could, he obviously couldn't sell any clothes because he was no good. Um, so therefore he had to like try and... Like, like, I like that. And come at me because I was better than him. Because <laughs> um, I can sell more clothes and stuff. So obviously, you yeah, know, yeah. you have those attacks that you know come from other white people. But it is mostly other black people. Do you think then? Do you think the Black Lives Matter movement should pay more attention to colorism within our community, or do you think it should really focus on the broad brush aspect of this thing, considering that? You know, for example, with police interactions or in everyday life, it's skin colour that matters initially, you know, threat first, person later, as Darren Lewis writes. Should it be a focus on the broad brush or should Black Lives Matter and other organisations really like take a deep look at ourselves and understand why at least do you, why do you hate certain black people um, because they're more successful than you are or because they talk better than you or not better, but they talk differently or have different interests? What do you think about that? So to do with the first point, I think Black Lives Matter should be focusing on, you know, all aspects that de, you know, devalue black life in comparison to all life, you know, all others. And and definitely colorism and you know tensions within our own community is a part of that because when we devalue each other because of, you know structures or you know racially discriminative views and perceptions you know we we devalue what it means you know we devalue black life um we 
feed into that perception that we're just, you know, a group, a community of infighting, violent people who can't get along and, you know, who are, who can't succeed. And we can't continue to feed into that by fighting amongst ourselves and by, you know, holding each other back. And we need to lift each other up and do better as a community and part, and that is an important part of making Black Life Matter. If we can't value ourselves, how can we expect other races to value us? So it is definitely a important part. And I think Black Lives Matter should definitely tackle that issue and work with other groups that tackle that issue. Um, I, but yeah, with, with police, the, the, you know, the fact people against police and, you know, police brutality and all that is a very important topic that definitely needs to be tackled because, you know, I've heard many statistics are saying that, you know, the amount of black and black, um, you know, the amount of black people who have reportedly been, you know, brutalized by the police or even killed by police, not as much as white people and all those other statistics and regardless of, you know, I'm not sure about statistics, the statistics myself, because I don't do much research on the topic, but regardless, it's still important, even if it's, you know, two black people a year getting killed by police, because when, you know, one bad, one bad apple spoils the barrel is true when, you know, those are the only apples on earth, like, <laughs> or those apples are important with enforcing the law in your community like you are the police we you know the police rely on society's trust in them like a whole part of their importance is the fact that we need to be able to trust the police in order for them to function like if nobody trusts the police nobody wants likes the police if nobody believes the police are fairly going to represent them how are they going to be able to go about doing their job safely and doing their jobs effectively if you know they you know every black person every white person every person around them seemingly hates them and they're trying to both enforce law and defend themselves. And it's just going to feed into a cycle where police are constantly trying to, you know, defend themselves against what they believe are, you know, outwardly hateful people who, you know, hate them. And even the other way around, as if, you know, it's, it is important because, you know, security is an important part of a functioning society. And, you know, in all, uh, security needs to be, you know, society needs to be fair to everybody. You can't have law enforcement that's helping one group of people more than another because then you can't trust the civil system as a whole. So it is an important issue that needs to be tackled as well as, like I've said, our divisions in our own community. Thank you for listening to Nonstop Politics. If you enjoyed, why not follow us on Instagram at Nonstop Politics? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.